Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm delighted to share the rest of the second series is once again in partnership with Heck. Being an independent and family-owned business, they pull out all the stops to bring that farmer's market quality to the supermarket shelf. In addition to their delicious original range, they offer veggie options too, catering for absolutely everyone, all of which can be found online at heckfood.co.uk and in the major supermarkets too. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, master practitioner, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode of this second series, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authorities in the world of well-being so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. We all have good days and bad days, and we all have foods we like more or we like less, but is there a connection between feeling a certain way and the foods we've eaten? Joining me to share the latest research is Dr. Aria, a chartered psychologist specialising in the relationship between food and the brain. As a doctor in clinical psychology, a mindfulness specialist and an expert in the fields of behaviour change and long-term health, Dr. Arya has developed a science-based method to help people achieve and maintain a healthy mind and body that they can feel good about. So hello, Dr. Arya. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, I thought you were the perfect guest, really. And I love the idea that empowering people to understand their own psychology so they can make informed decisions is it just makes sense to me. Mm. And there is now, isn't there, such a strong link between food and mood. Absolutely. What we eat and how we feel is so closely linked. Mm. And one has a really powerful impact on the other. And we're really lucky because we live in an age right now where all this scientific research is coming out that can offer mm. insights into how the mind and the body and food yeah. are interconnected and form the foundations of long-term health. Totally. And how did you get into that particular subject? I mean, obviously, it's quite a strenuous process, I, I, I imagine, becoming a chartered psychologist. What does mm. that involve? 
So it involves, I did a four-year degree in psychology at St. Mm. Andrews. Yeah. Uh, I had a fantastic time. That's where I met my wife, Emma. Oh, lovely. Um, and then I did a year in the States at Penn, uh, where I specialised in positive psychology and mindfulness. Mm. And then I did a three-year doctorate at uh, UCL. Wow, quite extensive study then. It takes a little bit of study, yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely, and a lot of hard work. And how did the connection, because obviously nutrition mm. isn't something that I'm presuming was on the course when you were studying. Mm. Well, as a psychologist, I've always been fascinated with how the mind determines our actions and how the way that we think and how we feel and our social influences have a profound impact on what we do every day. Mm. And so whenever you link that to health, it's amazing how nutrition is critical. We know that. Being active is of paramount importance. Mm. But a lot of the time people know that they need to eat more healthily or they need to be more active. But there's a gap between what they know and what they're doing. Yeah. How do we implement the behavior change within that? I think absolutely. that must be and something you see a lot of. Yes, yes. And what I came to find through my research is that between that gap is our psychology, it's our mindset, it's the way that we're viewing ourselves, it's our expectations about the future, the beliefs that we have about what's possible, it's about how we're feeling when we're eating, what draws us into food, what creates different habitual uh, patterns that get ingrained into our life. And so by having more awareness over how your mind works, you can then have more control over what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. That's so interesting. I think it leads us really nicely on to, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of the term emotional eating mm. before. And what really does happen with that? You know, wh yeah. what is the process? Well, essentially, emotional eating is changing how you feel. So mm. it's used as a way to uh, manage emotions like anger, fear, boredom, sadness, because we don't just eat when we're hungry. No. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and research backs up what we already know. We, we're more motivated to eat when we're sad, we're anxious, tense. Or... I eat when I'm angry. <laughs> really? Are you one of these <laughs> angry eaters? Yes. <laughs> I'm angry with my fiancé, so yeah. I think I'm going to eat something. Right. So, so what would he have to do to Oh, really you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. <laughs> So it's a spectrum of emotions. Absolutely. There's a range of emotions. And so and emotions are intimately tied to our food. Uh, you know, some people pick up chocolate on the way home after a bad day at work or, you know, have a cup of tea and, a, and some biscuits when you're chatting with your friend about how your fiancé is uh, <laughs> being a... And I'll put the expletives yes. in there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but I do think that emotional eating is often misunderstood and it's unfairly demonised because... Our brains have actually evolved to find food intrinsically pleasurable. And whenever you consume f sugar and fat, it actually changes our neural chemistry and it triggers mm. these reward circuits in the brain. Mm. So we're hardwired to enjoy food and eating for pleasure is it's inevitable, it's natural, it's not something to be ashamed of. I agree. Um, it's actually not the problem. But if it's the only coping strategy that we have to feel better or it's one that we rely on too much as a stress reliever, then it can have you know, adverse psychological and physical effects. And so really, I think there's that distinction between emotional eating and emotional overeating or mindless emotional overeating. Mm.
I think that's so interesting. If you're actually thinking about it from the fact that emotional eating serves a good purpose for so many of us and it's mm. totally normal and okay, but too much of anything is a problem in life. You know, Absolutely. moderation Absolutely. is really key there. And what about what happens when we experience negative emotions in the brain, such as sadness mm -hmm. and stress? And what impact does that have on how we eat and what right. happens in the brain? Yeah. Well, when it comes to stress and emotional eating, brain chemicals are highly influential. Mm. Uh, most of your listeners have probably heard of serotonin and yeah. dopamine and research shows that when we become stressed these levels actually decrease it affects oh. our emotional state mm. and we can often feel low so we call serotonin the happy hormone absolutely yeah, so we've yes. got less happy hormone yes exactly and researchers show that stress can actually trigger out of control overeating so what we call disinhibition where you feel like you just can't control what you're doing and you're just mm continual eating um, and human and animal studies have showed that actually when we're stressed our cortisol levels go up mm. which is the stress hormone and that's actually linked to increased appetite mm. increased cravings for sugar and fat and weight gain and so from an evolutionary point of view we think that the brain's saying okay there's some sort of stress here you need to fight this source so we need to take on fuel I see. So essentially, it's, it is survival mode when we're sad or depressed or stressed to eat more. Absolutely. And so whenever we eat then these high sugar, high fat foods, we get this increase in chemicals in our brain. We get more serotonin. Mm. Our mood goes up. It triggers this dopamine reward circuitry yeah. that I mentioned. And so we feel better, but it doesn't last. And that's the key. Uh, and that's why it's not an addiction because a lot of people relate to items. So I'm going to use the example that goes back to my degree and my food science days of I like cake. It. Yes. Cake is the I love perfect. cake, by the way. We, we all love things. cake. I should yeah. have brought cake. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> next time I will bring cake. But it's the perfect example of fat and sugar combined. Yeah. Which yeah. would release that instant feeling in your brain. Absolutely. And they've done amazing research in, even into things like the Dorito. Mm. The Dorito is a, you know, there's not a Dorito tree. It's not found in nature. It's been crafted, engineered through decades, yeah. millions of pounds of research to find that perfect combination yeah. of sugar, fat, salt, texture, colour, mm. flavour, <laughs> smell, so that you know, when you have one, you don't just stop there. You have a family size bag. There's no evidence of any family around you, but it's you still manage you pop, to take it down. Just, oh, that's the wrong one. But once well, you pop, yeah, yeah, you just yeah. can't stop. Exactly. <laughs> that's Pringles, exactly. isn't it? That's Pringles. But there's a reason. You know, and yeah. they threw in monosodium glutamate, which is, has addictive-like properties. So ah. we're often we, we're often fighting an uphill battle in that food has been chemically engineered to hit that, what they call, sweet spot or bliss spot. Mm. Um Foods are available everywhere, wherever we go, you know, the garage, the gym, um, wherever it is. Even in a pharmacist. Even in a pharmacist, <laughs> totally. It's, it's fascinating and it kind of confirms what I think everybody knows. And it's not that food is addictive because, like you said, it's short-lived. However, mm -hmm. it does leave you wanting more. Absolutely. So it has addictive-like properties. Mm. And, and I often hear that from clients that they feel as though... There are those times, particularly in the evenings, where the eating is just out of control. And mm. it, and it's really tough because a lot of the time, the people that I work with are doing really well in different areas of their life, you know, whether as a mum or a dad or uh, professionally. But then there's a great sense of shame that they just can't seem to get a grip on one aspect of their life. And it could be their eating, which is just 
taking over and they just feel often very guilty about it and very ashamed with someone to hide that. Yeah, and how would this... So you've mentioned seeing this on your clients, and I get this a lot in my clinic as well um, mm-hmm. when we're looking at disordered relationships with food, and mm-hmm. it's very difficult. But, for example, some of my clients report not wanting to eat much when they feel stressed, whereas yeah. others will overeat. Do you see that as well? Absolutely. So we know there's a definite connection between stress and appetite. Mm. But as you've pointed out, this connection isn't the same for everyone. Mm. So uh, whenever I'm stressed, I turn into Mr. Munch. Okay. <laughs> I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. So literally, there'll be a tub of peanut butter and a spoon on my hand, and I'm just going back to like a moth to a flame. Whereas <laughs> if my wife has a lot of mm. uh, a lot on at work, she forgets to eat, which I almost I find it difficult to comprehend. She'll come home and she'll say, you know, I didn't even have lunch. I just didn't I didn't enter. My thoughts. Thought, yeah. yeah. And so what could be happening there is that often some people are so consumed by their demands that their focus is on the source of stress. And that can lead to difficulty being in tune with the different signals that your body is giving in terms of hunger or satiety. And mm-hmm. people might overlook their hunger and then might, might not eat for long stretches. I mean, and it's it's all fascinating, and it's I'm so glad we've got you on to discuss this because food and mood is such it's such a big mm. such a big thing. And but what about alcohol? I mean, I often see people um, trying to combat their emotions by turning to alcohol. Is that, is that another coping strategy? Absolutely, it's it's another way that uh, people try and manage how they feel. Uh, often dealing with feelings of stress or anxiety, feeling low. Even sometimes when you don't feel that confident in social situations, you'll use it as that sort of social lubricant. Um, And it's tricky because also when we feel stressed, we know that we tend to drink more alcohol Mm. and we also tend to sleep less and we exercise less. So it's all connected. And research shows that then when we're feeling more stressed, that can affect your metabolism as well. Uh, so they did a really interesting study where they looked at individuals who had had an argument the day before or had a, a disagreement with a friend, and they found that after they ate a high-fat meal, they actually burnt 104 less calories How interesting. than people that hadn't had a stressful event the day before. Yeah. So even just experiencing one stressful event can actually... Uh, slow down your body's metabolism and the research that predicted would lead to an average gain of 11 pounds over the course of a year. Wow. I mean, I knew stress paid, played a big role, but I didn't even look at it from that that yeah. perspective before. And I think you've touched on the different pillars of health there. And it's mm-hmm. something I talk about a lot in my book, Green Irish, is yeah. that obviously allowing yourself rest time and sleep yes. and recuperation is just as important as the fuel you put in. Absolutely. And from your perspective, like you've just said, um, of course, turning to alcohol and things like that when you're it does then have a knock-on effect on the things that will pick you up again yes yes exactly and so that short-term fix can actually become part of the long-term problem yeah and what about looking at it the other way around so in terms of how food choices affect your mood and emotions but what we can do about it so what would be deemed first of all a mood enhancing food right so whenever we look at mood enhancement often uh, you might read in the press again about dopamine Mm. uh, which is also called the happiness drug yeah and so we know that within the brain our dopamine levels are really well regulated but there is research that will suggest that certain dietary changes can actually naturally boost your levels of dopamine um 
I don't know how far you want to go into GCSE biology. I would love know. to hear a bit yeah. of GCSE biology. You can test me here as well. This is good. Well, go if for I, it. Uh, yeah, if we go too far down the rabbit hole, let I'll, me know. I'll let you know. Yeah, but we'll remember that proteins are made up of smaller um, blocks amino called amino acids. acids. Perfect. Yeah. Um, there's an amino acid called tyrosine. Okay. And that can be converted to dopamine, to the right. happiness drug. Yeah. And tyrosine can also be made from another amino acid, phenylalanine. Mm-hmm. So if you eat foods that are rich in these amino acids, they can be important for the production of dopamine. Great. And there have been actual studies showing that when you increase the amount of protein that you eat in a single meal or over a couple of days, that raises the concentration of tyrosine in the brain and it stimulates the production of dopamine. I love that. So it's so interesting to me because obviously Mm -hmm. another amino acid I know a lot about is tryptophan, which converts to serotonin. So you've got tyrosine that converts to dopamine. Correct. And tryptophan that converts to serotonin. Yes. So actually, we need to make sure we are getting this protein in our diets. Yes, so it's it's about having that, that balance. And if we look at the foods with the highest levels of tyrosines it's egg white it's different cheeses um cod peanut um peanut butter's on the menu then that's good yeah yeah. and (laughs) and like you mentioned serotonin is another key hormone and so the gut is often referred to as the second brain and about 90 to 95 percent of the body serotonin is located in the gut Mm. and that's why right now we're finding that eating prebiotics which are different types of dietary fiber that feed the friendly bacteria in your gut um so garlic onions leeks asparagus bananas oats and eating probiotics, so the live bacteria um, and yeast that are helpful because they keep your gut healthy. Yogurt, like we talked mm. about, kefir, sauerkraut, tempeh. Yeah, um, kimchi. Mm. Kimchi, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. can just make a really big difference. So just adding a little bit of that as you go along can go a long way. That's so good to know. We talk a lot about the gut-brain axis, and I mm. think on the podcast it's going to be a recurrent theme. And knowing that 90% of your serotonin is produced in the gut means it is so important what we're eating to support the gut in the first place. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Does that tie on to how we can negatively feel? Mm, it does. And if we go back to the research, uh, we know that very low-carbohydrate meals can have a negative effect on, on mood, according uh, to several yes. studies. Um, it could be various factors to explain that, including that a diet that has carbohydrate can boost your brain level of serotonin. Um, but it's also possible that just having really low carbohydrate is extremely challenging and a massive drag. So for, yeah. for me, that I'd find that brutal really to try. Well, it's so interesting because I see a lot of people embarking on fatty diets um, mm. and we talk about carbohydrates a lot as well because there's too much um, taking them out. You know, people are scared yeah. to eat them. Yeah. Whereas actually, if you get the right, I call them the two cues, the quality and quantity, Yes. then you're also going to be helping your brain. Absolutely. And that's beautiful, bringing it down to two simple factors, quality and quantity. Yeah. And we used to think that a calorie is a calorie and that they have the same metabolic outcomes in the body. Mm. But the latest research is showing that the quality of the calories going actually affects what's being burned in your metabolism within the body. Yeah, it's so interesting you mentioned that because we're actually talking um, with Giles Yo, a geneticist who mm. believes the same thing. And we were discussing that calories aren't always equal as we know and what you see on a packet actually is not what happens inside the body in terms of how much energy you absorb or don't absorb from the food exactly because the body is a different system and it actually handles these 
different. Uh, so, for instance, carbohydrates differently. So there was a fascinating study from Harvard that looked at the different quality of carbohydrates. So comparing having um, a lot of processed junk foods with having more bro- uh, brown, wholemeal, natural carbohydrates. And actually found that even when you have the same number of calories, do the same amount of exercise, when yeah. you've got that higher quality, you boost an average of about 125 to 150 more calories wow. every day. Yeah. So that can have a huge impact in terms of helping you if you're trying to maintain a healthier weight or Mm. get to a healthier weight. So we know that low-carb diets and diets that lack fibre essentially um, are are definitely going to help you, well, not help you feel great. Well, I'd say that everyone's individual. You'll have, you'll have, it's about listening to your body. So you'll have people that actually can gravitate towards a really high fat, high protein diet and they feel great and they Mm. function well and they have lots of energy during the day and they're not grumpy. And then you have other people that if you create that restriction and sense of deprivation, it's just suffering really. And that's why diets don't work is because they're so often focused on restricting entire food groups, focused on what you can't have and people just feel like it's a daily battle they're struggling they're struggling against food about what they can't have they're struggling with their weight with their emotions and it's really painful to see which is why i'm really keen and passionate about encouraging people to focus on what's important to them know that actually you can be healthy you can reach a really healthy weight by having a balanced overall pattern of eating you know, trying to eat it healthily 80% of the time, but still allowing yourself to have that slice of cake when you're out with friends yeah. or having a ice cream. There's an amazing ice cream place around the corner. Ooh, I don't know. Give me the name it's afterwards. Called, oh, right. Oh, well, if you know it now, it now. It's called uh, Jalupo. And it's on Archer Street and it does probably the best ice cream in uh, in London. Is, I is actually it like did a proper gelatory kind of it place? Is. Oh. Last summer I did a, a gelato taste test where I went around the different <laughs> gel- gelaterias in London to, and I actually ranked them all out of 10. I'm, I'm very sad when it comes to yeah, things Dr. like that. Dr. how did I not know this before you came on this podcast? Yeah, yeah I think my wife's actually going to wish I hadn't mentioned that. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. No, we're definitely singing from the same hymn sheet. Mm. It's, it's extremely important that we encourage that everybody's unique. We try and see things in a positive way all the time yeah. and, and it's very difficult, especially in your line of work I'm sure and do you notice that there are extra effects from caffeine consumption? Mm. Um, Caffeine most people will know it's a stimulant and in terms of your mental state it it can improve feelings of alertness and counter affect those effects of fatigue but too much caffeine particularly in people that aren't used to it um, can cause people to be irritable Mm. lead to physical symptoms like headaches Mm. uh, and it's actually the same symptoms with caffeine withdrawal yes yeah so i witness a lot of this with people that i need to reduce their caffeine intake so i would say i have some clients and Mm. this is true that have up to eight cups of coffee a day or more and it's in their working environment it's a complete addiction they can't imagine waking up in the morning without reaching for that that cup of coffee and of course from my nutritional perspective I know obviously Mm -hmm. that's not very healthy for Mm -hmm. them at all but how could you comment on the impact that's having on the brain I mean if if you're thinking about the withdrawal symptoms why do you think that's happening well we know that the brain habituates to what the way that it's being treated Mm. and so people can often build up a tolerance and so they're essentially their hormonal 
levels become regulated and become used to that level of caffeine. Mm. So part of it then becomes uh, normalizing the the way that the brain works by having that caffeine. And when you take that away for different people, that can have different effects. Mm. And we know that with individuals in terms of how we process caffeine. So you know, taking an unscientific example, but my brother-in-law, he can have a double espresso after we've gone out for an Italian at 10 p.m. at night, and he's fine. Whereas if I had a double espresso, I'll be bouncing off the walls, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I won't be getting much sleep at all. Yeah. So again, it's, it's, it's important to take into consideration the evidence base to know that we're standing on solid ground, but then filtering and adapting that to your own situation. Really almost treating yourself as though you're a one-person scientific study or a laboratory mm. where you're figuring out, okay, what works for me? How do I feel after I've had this food or that, or that drink? If I change this, what impact does that have on how I feel or the way that I'm It's a great approach. We're going to keep, I, I joke about it constantly, but we're going to keep saying on the Food for Thought podcast, yeah. we are unique because I think it's really important to hammer that home that yes. there is no one size fits all. And do other doctors see eye to eye to you with this kind of um, message, you know, that we mm. are unique and food is important? Do you think there's a change? I do sense a change. Uh, historically, there's always been that strong distinction between medics um, and this medical model where conditions are a disease and you treat it with medication mm. And then a psychological or biopsychosocial model where your circumstances are built up of your biology, your genetics, your psychology, the way that you think and feel, and your social environment and the people around you. Mm. And definitely working in the NHS over the last couple of years, I've noticed this trend towards integrative medicine Great. where we are really appreciating the nuances and subtleties of the effects of the mind on the body and vice versa. Mm. And I think there's this shift in public consciousness as people are often much more interested now in taking a more holistic approach to their well-being. And the media are highlighting the importance of mental wellness and we've got celebrities which are... Yeah, it's great, isn't it? There's a lot of campaigns it. for mental health yes. now. Do you, do you find with your clients then in, in your clinic that you're... Well, when you see them on the NHS, that you're trying really hard to get this kind of point across to them that it is that health is not dictated by a number or one size and you're meant to be unique. Do you have any exercises that you, you do with them on this kind of area? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, often I've developed this fit method and, and that's really an integral part of it through and through. Yes. Um, often people come with this idea that, okay, I'd like to lose weight. And that's completely understandable. It could be for aesthetic reasons or it could be health um, reasons. But then I think what becomes really clear very quickly is that weight loss is actually just a byproduct. It's a, uh, it's a side effect in a way. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're living a really rich, active, healthy lifestyle and you're focusing on the things that are important to you and you're eating well and you feel like your, your mind and your head is in the right space and your actions are kind of matched up with your long-term goals, your body deals with the weight on its own. Mm. And actually, you don't have to worry about that so much and you can allow your body to find its own natural rhythm. And that might be different to what you expect it to be. You might have an idea in your head of being a, you know, a particular size or having a particular um, waist size. But actually, what I find is a lot more helpful is just to focus on the day-to-day actions. So what can I do today that will make my life more meaningful and active, whether or not that's you know, doing a yoga class and prioritizing that once a week or treating myself to a really wholesome, nourishing lunch, even although I've got a busy day. Mm, or taking just, the kids to the park at the end of the day or yeah, something. Yeah, absolutely. Spending time with them and just having mm. that moment where you can connect with them. Yeah, I think that's such, it's such important advice and it's something that I think a lot of health professionals actually don't go into into too much detail. They tend to stick to the black and white facts, whereas we know that there's so much more involved to life Mm. that's going to help each individual area flourish it's very hard I mean this is a bit well it's actually very on topic I was going to say it's off but it's (laughs) on Um, if we're looking at feeling low in mood and depression and low energy they're very hard to distinguish I'm sure for many people am I depressed or am I just low in energy is is there a way of defining that is there a way of um, helping you talk to yourself to identify really how you're feeling yes so whenever we look at depression that's a clinical disorder and so Mm -hmm. there's certain criteria Mm. um often it's looking at feeling very low over a period of two weeks it's a long Um, period of time yeah and often longer and then there's often other symptoms involved such as um it affecting your appetite losing a lot of interest in everyday activities Mm. um having that sort of loss of interest or motivation and difficulty sleeping And actually, much more now, uh, we've known that there's been a link between poor diet and mental health. Mm. And there's been uh, an association between diet quality and the risk of depression. Yes. But it's it's really timely because there was a new analysis that was actually just released at the start of February Mm. that combined data from 16 studies looking at over 45,000 participants. Oh, brilliant. And it was looking at the effects of dietary interventions on depression and anxiety. And they actually found that there was really good news that by making simple changes, uh, eating more nutrient-dense meals, high in fibre and vegetables, cutting back on fast foods and refined sugars, you could avoid these negative psychological effects of having a junk food diet. 
And the data showed actually that women receive significantly greater benefits mm. from improving their diet quality. It's something I'm always trying to mention, even things like omega-3s in the diet and different mm. little components people don't think about. But the divide between genders is really interesting. Do you have a theory as to why women perhaps are more sensitive to these dietary changes than men? It's difficult to say. So in terms of yeah, the data, we definitely need more research. And we think the improvements might be linked to obesity being reduced, uh, a reduction in inflammation or reduction in fatigue. So there could be gender differences there. Mm. Um, something else that could be from a psychological point of view, we know that females are more likely to tend to eat in order to manage their emotions. Okay. And so there also might be a link yeah. in terms of how people are using food in their lives. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, and I think it's so important that we do differentiate sometimes even between genders, cultures, because mm. we are so unique. It's And alongside food, of course, you often talk a lot about the importance of movement and you've mentioned your fit method before. So let's talk about mindfulness and, and how does that fit into all of this? It's something I try and get into my clinic and my practice constantly. Yes. So... Mindfulness is can be defined in different ways. The definition I use is that mindfulness is this awareness which mm. emerges whenever you pay attention to the present moment. And so mindfulness is really about empowering yourself to make more conscious choices about what you're eating, when you're eating, and how much you're eating. And research indicates that we make over 200 food-related decisions every day. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> It's on my brain all the time. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some people, wow. it'll be higher. I think mine will definitely be in there. I think mine will be higher, actually. Yeah. I reckon I'm more than 200. A recent review actually found that mindfulness-based strategies lead to weight loss, healthier mm. food choices, and better mood. Wow. So it's a really great starting place just to create more awareness. But then also, from a mindfulness practice point of view, um, creating that space where you're allowing yourself to sort of rest in the present moment. I think that's that's crucial. I mean, mindfulness is something that I delve into in Renourish. And it, it's the importance from my perspective as a nutritionist as well, is that how we look at food and how we eat food. So are we present when we eat? Mm. And this can cause a lot of digestive havoc if, if we're not present, mm. because obviously blood flow can be drawn away from the area of digestion, digestion if we're stressed. Yes. That can have a knock-on effect. We need to create the enzymes when we're looking at the food. Our brains are very clever. Mm. Do you have any um, kind of extra advice that you would give for people when it comes to avoiding distraction when eating? Is that something that you also mention? Yeah, I'm really glad that you um, that you mentioned that. And that's what I, I love about your book as well, about going into that. Oh. Because there was a, a review of 24 different studies. So it's not just a one-off, but looking across the board. And that we know that when you eat, when you're distracted, you tend to eat about 9 to 10% more at the time and up to 25% more later, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. And the theory behind it is that our brains are often making predictions about how much we need to eat based on the, the memories that we've laid down. Mm. So if we're eating while we're distracted, it's easy to get caught up in habits of being on your comp you know, laptop or work computer and eating your lunch. At your desk. At your desk, not giving yourself that time, sitting in front of the TV. Scrolling Instagram. Scrolling Instagram, <laughs> all these things. 
our brain isn't laying down these memories. And so when we come to eat later, we tend to overeat. Mm. So really simple tools like uh, eating at the dinner table, shutting off your, your laptop, your phone, turning off the TV. Yeah. Just, I often take three mindful breaths before I start eating. Now, that's a really good thing to bring into mm. it. So mindful breaths, is that because you want to relax your nervous system or does that just help you focus? Both. I I find that sometimes I'm so excited about food. It's <laughs> a nice or, way to be. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> or I'm so driven to want to eat that this is almost feeling of I need to eat now and there's a sort of drive to eat mm. but it's at those times that I know that I'm not going to be really consciously fully savouring my food yeah. so I just like to take it three breaths and it gives me a moment just to settle into the moment uh, like you're saying just to feel prepared but then also to really fully maximise the amount of pleasure that you're getting from yeah. the food because you know food's wonderful yeah. and it's, it can be it's a big source of joy in my life and so if you can maximise that then why not? I think that's wonderful. And that leads us on to some questions that I've got from followers. So I've been putting out feelers over the last few months and collating right. loads of different questions based okay. on different topics. So Sarah has said, and mm. um, I'm throwing you on the spot here a little bit, but it actually leads into what you've just been speaking about. She said, when I'm stressed, I eat everything in the house that I know isn't great for me. So I go for chocolate. What is a better food I can eat when I'm feeling stressed? Mm. So I would say that one approach would be to exactly look at what what are the substitutes so it depends are you gravitating towards something that's really sweet or are you going towards salty if you're going sweet it's not going to sound sexy but you know <laughs> fruit is probably yeah. the best thing you can do mm. but a lot of the time we don't feel inspired by an apple or a banana or a bit of broccoli if it's not fruit yeah exactly yeah but if you create if you create a fruit bowl that's got you know, so I love mango, papaya, mm. even like figs. Uh, oh, I love figs. Yeah, do you? Yeah, my favourite fruit in the world. <laughs> Amazing. So if you, if, you know, if you had that ready, it's going to be a lot more enticing to give you that nudge to try it. Because whenever you do, it will satisfy the sugar cravings. Mm. Um, but in a way that it stabilises your blood sugar levels. So you're not going to experience that sugar blood sugar dip afterwards mm. um, which will then lead to more cravings. So would you say that's a better approach than, or, or would you recommend if this is happening to someone really frequently they should obviously seek some help to try and um, uncover what's actually causing this coping strategy? Yeah so it depends how much distress and dysfunctional uh, impairment it's causing in your life. Mm. For some people it's something that uh, you know I'm not that keen on but it's something that they're okay with happens occasionally yeah. yeah i see what you're saying for there. other people actually it really impacts on their self-esteem their self-confidence mm. how they feel about themselves and that's often the people that i work where with they reach a stage where do you know i'm just i'm fed up with it mm. um i'm not coping on my own and so it'd be really helpful to have an expert that could just guide me through this and actually maybe look at why i'm turning to food in the first place yeah. so i can manage my internal thoughts and feelings in a more a productive way rather than continually feel, you know turning to food completely but then feeling ashamed and yeah there's upset no harm seeking help is there sometimes as well that's a really good absolutely point to not, make yeah absolutely even when we look at sports you know the best sports people and professionals in the world all have coaches yes they do they all have someone you yeah. know business take any domain of life and they have someone that can see the wood for the trees provide some insights and pointers and 
let you hear what you need to hear at the right time. It's that American phrase that every American has a psychologist, and I think actually maybe oh, really, I've not heard that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's what they associate. Well, maybe I've made that up, but I'm pretty sure that's a thing. No, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. <laughs> um, so Stefan has said, um, yeah. "Is it true that dehydration affects the brain?" So, you know, if I'm not drinking enough water, does that affect my brain? Yes. So we do know that your brain is strongly influenced by your hydration status. Mm. Um, there have been studies to show that even mild dehydration, 1% to 3% of your body weight can impair your brain function. Um, can oh, lead wow. to, yeah, can lead to lower mood. Uh, they've done this with males and females. Uh, it can affect your working memory. It can increase mm. feelings of anxiety and fatigue. So water is the really is the source of life. It's the elixir of life. It absolutely is. Yeah, and it it's one of these things that you know we read and we think, oh, I know that, but we might not be drinking enough. So even having cups of tea, uh, coffee. I've got my water. key cup right now on my desk. And if I didn't actually, it's really odd. Um, mm-hmm. I tried the whole water bottle thing. Yeah. And if I didn't actually have a keep cup, because I like teas, I probably wouldn't drink as much water out of my water bottle compared to yeah. the keep cup. Yeah. So I think everybody's got to find a way of doing it. Definitely. Yeah, that works for them. I used to always have a water bottle. Now my wife's uh, converted me to having cups of tea. Oh, lovely. Pretty much yeah, every hour. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Your wife is on it. So Mel has said, I have lots of energy in the morning, but feel tired about 3pm in the afternoon. Why is this? Mm. So we do often hit an energy slump in the afternoon. Mm. With Mel, I would probably want to be looking at how much is she eating during the mm. day. Some people try and skip breakfast. Um, they might not actually be front loading enough and taking on yes. enough to fuel their bodies. Yeah. You know, is Mel trying a particular type of uh, diet right now. Yeah, feeling like- I have to say, Mal, it's very difficult to answer this type of question because it's so broad. Mm-hmm. So that it could be so many factors. Yeah, it could be a number of factors. But So I would, again, look at what I'm eating. Am I... And also look at... Mel's mindset like is she, mm. does she feel like she's really trying to restrict what she's eating during ah. the day I often see that with clients so focus on trying to restrict during their first half of the day and then they just get tired and exhausted so run out of energy and then in the evenings and the afternoon they're just binging and it's out of control yeah so I think Mel definitely focusing on what you're eating throughout the day and not restricting if that's the case there and finally I've got one from Louise here as well who said um if I swap sugar in my tea to artificial sweeteners, will my brain be happier? <laughs> I like the way she's phrased that. Will my brain be yeah, happier? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. It is a very good question. We know that uh, from a health point of view, if we can reduce processed sugars, you'll be doing well. Mm. Um, artificial sweeteners do appear to have beneficial impacts when it comes to your blood glucose levels, when it comes to your insulin levels, when it comes to uh, weight loss. But just from a personal point of view, I try not really uh, advocate an overuse because it's still artificial and as much as possible I, I try and try and go towards yeah. natural wholesome products yeah and I think you mentioned the term there that I think is quite important to clear up for everyone listening that free sugars are sugars that don't come inside the cell or inside a natural product so you can mm-hmm. get intrinsic natural sugars that come in fruit and vegetables and all that kind of thing but 
the diets in the UK on a whole have far too much of what we call excess sugar. So this is where artificial sweeteners may step in when if your diet has a lot of this extra stuff that's creeping in, it may be fizzy drinks, it goes straight in your system. But actually, when it comes to your brain being happier, I don't really think... um, No, I'm I'm not aware of any research related mm, specifically to that. Yeah. If someone said, look, I need to either... I'm basically being forced to drink a can of Coke or a can of Diet Coke, which one would I have to take? Then I would opt for the Diet Coke. Yeah. But if there's another option of having sparkling water with you know lemon and lime and cucumber, <laughs> then the more we can move towards that. Because we do know that we've done studies where we take individuals, we give them diet drinks, and then they tend to actually eat more later when they're exposed to food. And that's something that I want to touch on in another podcast episode that I think you'll really enjoy, actually, discussing the effect on how maybe our microbiome's influenced by them. We don't know yet. So it's it's interesting. So we're now moving on to my favourite part of the podcast. So this is a quickfire round called Fact or Fiction. I like it. (laughs) I'm, I'm feeling uh, appropriately nervous. Good, good. Right. I, that's what I like because I don't obviously want to inflict that on everyone listening. But okay, so stress causes us to crave sugar. Fact. An unhealthy diet can be the cause of depression. Contribute to depression, fact. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Vegans are happier than meat eaters. <laughs> I'm going you know, to go with fact because... <laughs> Vegans are, they're, they're rocking it. The, I think the way that they're managing to really have such a positive, beneficial impact, I reckon we're all, we're all heading that direction, even if we don't want to like to admit okay, it. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, eating chocolate always uplifts our spirits. Uh, 98% of the time, fact. <laughs> 2% of the time, we overeat, and then yeah. I feel worse. Yeah. I, I agree with that one. Food dictates our mood more than our mood dictates our food. Oh, Oh, food dictates. Uh, I need to actually. I have to get that in my head. That means. Food, food dictates, dictates our, mood our mood more than yeah. mood dictates our food. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with uh, confused.com. <laughs> That's my <laughs> answer on that one. I agree. It's really difficult <laughs> to get your head around. Eating our five a day will make us significantly happier. Significantly happier, healthier, wealthier. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Basically, if you can eat more fruit and veg, you're winning. Lovely. Over-exercising makes us feel more stressed. Yes, I think it's important to take... Oh, now I'm answering questions. No, sorry, it's fact. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much here. Uh, yes, facts, that can be true. Brilliant. Comfort food should be avoided. Oh, fiction. Brilliant. Yeah. Mindful eating is more effective than any weight loss diet. Ooh. Ooh. Fact. I like fact, that. Definite fact. A bad Diets don't me- work. Diets do not work. Thank you. Diets don't work. Let's keep hammering that home. And the last one, a bad mood can trigger unhealthy eating. Yeah, I mean, you're you're pretty much case in point in that that one. You get angry. I didn't know that would come back to hit me. We started there, we should probably finish there, really. It makes sense, doesn't it? Thank you so much. So that nearly wraps up this episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mind today would be in order to perform at our best, whether it's problem solving or running a race, our bodies need adequate amounts of nutrients. So without them, so much of the clinical research available today points towards how our mood and energy levels will be significantly affected. After all, 
our brains use 20% of all energy needed by the body. And the brain's energy supply is glucose, which is carbohydrates. So it's important that we eat carbohydrate-containing foods. So we discussed this earlier, obviously, mm. like fruit and vegetables. People forget that contains carbs, potatoes and rice. And fruit and vegetables also contain those vitamins and minerals needed by the body. So eating a large variety of them is really the key for feeling our best. Now, if you could give our lovely listeners one food for thought today, mm. what would that be? I would probably look at it from a psychological point of view and encourage people to give themselves permission to prioritise their health. Mm. Because I think society places an immense amount of pressure on people, particularly females, I think often to be perfect in inverted mm. commas, mm. to have these unhelpful expectations to to look perfect, whatever that's meant to be, to be perfect mums, to have successful careers, to be, f f you know, caregivers of families at the same time. And these really extreme, unobtainable standards can have a, like a huge knock-on effect on your self-esteem and can result in constant dieting and a really unhealthy relationship with food. And there's actually clear evidence that that sort of perfectionism is linked to anxiety and depression. Mm. Um, and as a psychologist, I've witnessed how this sort of pursuit, which society just often uh, harnesses, can actually lead to, you know, overeating feelings of self-doubt, inadequacy, worthlessness. And so I'd really just encourage people to prioritise your health mm. and not to overlook your own needs because it's okay to put yourself first at times. Aww. And it's okay as a mum to put yourself first mm. because whenever you are uh, looking after yourself and as a father as well yeah you know whenever yeah. you're prioritizing actually that is my my time whenever I go to yoga or I go for a walk mm. or I just have 10 minutes on my own reading a book you're actually going to have more in your tank to be able to be more creative and loving and patient and so it's giving yourself permission and also remembering that it doesn't have to be all or nothing you mm. don't need to even just doing a little bit, even if it's just 10 minutes of yoga uh, mm. on YouTube or just having one healthy meal, yeah. that can be enough to make a Aww. big difference. Well, Dr. Aria, I, that actually gave me shivers. It was so lovely. And I really think people are going to take home so much from that. And Great. where can people find you if they want to learn a little bit more about what you do and if they can reach out? Yes, yeah, so um, they can follow me on Instagram, um, Dr. Laura Score case aria um on my website uh, dr-aria.com and um, yeah. but feel free to send me a message on instagram or an email it's on the website yeah. address get in touch um and yeah i'm more than happy to try and help in whatever way oh, i can perfect well thank you so much for thank coming you for on. having me thank you so much for listening it's heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing nutritional advice if you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit nutrition.com and follow me at nutrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. If you love a fry-up, and you're doing meat-free Mondays, they're not complete without a top-quality vegan sausage. 
Peck's new vegan breakfast sausage is the perfect showstopper in any vegan fry-up. Containing mushroom, tomato, carrot, parsley and sage, they're the perfect start to the day. And with most of us not getting our recommended 30 grams of fibre per day, with 3 grams of fibre per sausage, they will give you a great head start. You can find Hex Vegan Breakfast Sausages in Sainsbury's from May and online at hexfood.co.uk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 